Hi everyone, this is Don Davis. I'm your host of Supply Chain Secrets. In this episode, we bring back everyone's favorite guest host, Caroline Weaver. Caroline was recently with us talking about the history of shipping. And in this episode, we're talking about 2022 and our year in review. So the first thing we do is we talk about what happened in 2022. What kind of observations do we make? What were some of the things that were most prevalent? And breaking down some of the reasons as to why we thought what happened in 2022 happened. And then we start to talk about 2023 and we say, okay, based on what happened in 2022, what did we learn? And can we use some of those things in our discussions as we look forward in 2023? Maybe there's some different strategies out there. Maybe there's some different thought processes. And maybe I need to start to think about if this happened, how can I use those learnings into what I do in 2023? So I think it was a really exciting episode. I really liked Caroline coming on the show. We also had some fun talking about some of our ideas. I would love to get some feedback on some of the things that Caroline and I are talking about bringing to you, the listener, next year. And I won't spoil any of that. I'll let you listen to the show. But we talk about that in the first few minutes, uh, some of the things that we're thinking about. So again, would love to get your feedback. So it was a great show. Had a lot of fun doing it. I think you'll enjoy it. Give it a listen and uh, give us some feedback. So enjoy the show, everybody. You are now listening to the Supply Chain Secrets Podcast with Don Davis. Hi, everyone. My name is Don Davis. I'm the Senior Vice President of MBO Experience here at NYSHEX and former executive of Hapag Lloyd and CMA CGM. And welcome to another episode of Supply Chain Secrets. In today's episode, back and better than ever, our guest co-host once again is Caroline Weaver. Caroline Weaver, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me back. I'm glad to be here. All right, cool. So this is the second time you're here. And for those that might not have caught your first episode, uh, why don't you just reintroduce yourself so people know who you are? Yeah, definitely. So I started in the industry about four years ago. My first couple of years were at Flexport. I did some operational work and then I moved over into the contract digitization space, working on the procurement operations team there. And then as of January 2022, I came over to NYSHEX. I've been working here as an account manager for our NVOCC team. So excited to be here. Yeah, great. And for those that might have missed it, Caroline was a guest host for our History of Shipping Part 1 episode. We plan on doing a Part 2 and some other things. And uh, Caroline, I don't know if you want to share some of your ideas that you had for a future episode, but they were your ideas. So I'll let you go ahead and talk about it. Well, yeah, I think it'd be fun to have some shorter form episodes. So maybe do some smaller things, like 15, 20 minute episodes. I think you call them uh, snack sized. Snack sized. Yes, that's what the term was. (laughs) But I think it'd be fun to talk about different things related to the industry, maybe stuff that's more obvious to people that have been around for a long time and have been working with carriers for a very long time. But I think doing something on surcharges would be kind of interesting because that's a whole thing. Uh, And if you don't know anything about it, it just seems crazy when you first hear about it. (laughs) And it'd be fun to talk about different types of ships, I think. Uh, I learned recently about semi-submersible vessels. So they basically go underwater to retrieve things like oil rigs and stuff. It's really interesting. And I think you have some experience shipping automobiles, what that's like. I think that would be cool to share with everyone. Yeah, so we yeah. have some other ideas kind of on the back burner. Yeah, I love that. So I've already uh, had some uh, feedback that uh, snack size episodes would be welcome. So uh, again, shorter things, specific topics. 
I love the idea of talking about surcharges and it might be like slight snack size, slight history, <laughs> because I think there's some history with surcharges and the way that's evolved. And I could talk a little bit about carrier thoughts on surcharges. I think that talking about different vessels is interesting because uh, Roro, I think, is something that uh, people may not know too much about, but there's container shipping, Roros, et cetera, these semi-submersible things. So I, I think it's interesting. I love the ideas. And uh, again, for those listening, give us feedback. If there's something you want to hear about, happy to talk about it, but uh, but we have some ideas. So really looking forward to having those discussions. Yeah. And I think we're not limited to talking just about ocean cargo. We could venture a bit into things like rail or just generally how did products go from point A to point B? What are all the steps? Maybe a, a quick overview, try to keep it like 10, 15 minutes, but Definitely want to hear from the viewers what's interesting to you and what you want to hear about. And maybe, Caroline, we talk about like freight forwarders and MBOs because, you know, that's kind of your jam. You know, he came from that space. But also talking a little bit about like, what does it even mean to be an MBO and like, why do they exist and some of the things there? Because I think what I've learned is that some people might be newer to the industry and they find our show to be helpful to just like, I don't know anything about the shipping industry. So let me listen to this episode. And it turns into a bit of an education. So that's been great. Yeah. So I'm ready. For, all right, let's do it. That's 2023 looking exciting. And again, listeners, you have the opportunity to influence us. So uh, give us feedback, DM us, rate us, review us, wherever you find us. We're happy to take feedback. But in today's episode, we're going to be talking about 2022 and do a year in review. So talking a little bit about what happened. There was a podcast they did last year with some guy named Brian Most, who is a good friend of mine, and he has uh, moved on to other things. But uh, we had some predictions about uh, what we thought would happen, and I think some we got right. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what transpired this year. And I think what might be interesting is to unpack a little bit about not only what happened, but what have you learned and how can you use that in 2023? How can that be part of your strategy based on what happened? So if that's okay with you, Caroline, I think let's get going. Yeah, sure. Let's go. So, I mean, what is your perspective on, I certainly have a perspective on 2022, but certainly from your point of view, like, is there anything that's top of mind when you think about this past year as it draws to a close? The funny thing about this year is that it was pretty chaotic. (laughs) We started the year with really high freight rates and about summertime, I think, rates have started dropping off and now rates are very low going TPEV and other trade lanes. But I think when I was speaking to you about this, you were like, oh yeah, it's going back to normal, more normal. And I'm like, oh, there is a normal. Because from my perspective, I've started in 2019 in the industry. So my normal is very skewed. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it too, if it's returning to more of a normal or if it's still, we're still in for a bumpy ride for 2023. Yeah, I think that, first of all, what happened this past year is just incredible because in 2020, there was COVID and shipping stopped for a while. And then in May of 2020, things started to really pick up and then it just didn't let up until two years later. And then in the summertime, demand dropped off and you saw all this capacity out there. And then the rates dropped as quickly as they rose, which um, is really surprising. I think most people I've talked to are surprised at the way rates fell. And you could argue whether or not that was necessary. And we can talk about maybe some strategies around like, why would you do that? Why would you go from 10,000 to like less than 2,000 in the course of a couple of months? And I think there there is some rationale there. 
but I think it's going to continue to be volatile in 2023. And I'll talk about some reasons why, but I think that the two things that stand out to me is first of all, the rate drop, but then second was just the demand drop. And I think the demand dropping off like it did caught a lot of people by surprise. And it seemed to happen from one day to the next that uh, ships were fully utilized, 100% utilized. And then it went down to around 70, 60, 50%, and then started to drive the rates down. So I don't think anyone really predicted it happening that quickly. I think that there's some things happening now where there seems to be some sign that things are starting to stabilize. But I would like to talk a little bit about like what it means to be, are we in a normal situation? Have things like a return to normal? Because I would argue that we'll never have a return to normal, that there is like that normal we saw like two to three years ago doesn't exist. And I believe Lars Jensen also agrees with this idea that there won't be a return to normal. But do you have any thoughts on like what the characteristics are of like a normal environment? Otherwise I can unpack like what I thought it means and what it means going forward. I think prior to having these conversations with you and listening to the podcast, honestly, it, it seemed like the normal was you have options as a shipper, but also it's expensive to ship. Things happen. You can't always rely on the service, which I guess that I think can be extrapolated to beyond just the past four years. Ship happens in freight. But I think that, I don't know, what I've learned recently, I think the normal is more very low freight rates, profit margins are not very large for any of the players, whether it's carriers and BOs. And I think with shippers, I would imagine it's more of a, you decide to have a partnership with someone, but if that's not the case, you also have the ability to go between different carriers because the rates are are fairly low and competitive between them all. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the, there's the low freight rate component, but I also think that there's a available space component and that um, you can really find space anywhere. So it feels like as a shipper, maybe you don't need to do any type of contracting. You could just simply live in the spot market and get the low freight rate and get all the space you want. Now, I would argue there's a risk to doing that because I don't believe that the rates are going to stay this low forever. I mean, that's logical. But I also think that, you know, carriers have been posting incredible results for a while. And uh, there are some signs that that is going to start to change. Um, and I think as that starts to change, there's going to be increased pressure to do something about it, that it's going to be difficult to go from making $4 billion a quarter to losing hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, could be billions in a quarter. And I think if I'm a carrier, I see that there's enough cost headwind out there. Certainly t- terminal costs have increased, landslide costs have increased, bunker remains to be expensive and there's a new IMO regulation which is going to have an impact on carriers. So I think to assume that these rates are going to stay low and that space is going to be readily available, I would say I don't believe that. And I think you're going to see some significant blanking as we go into 2023, maybe not uh, leading up to Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year is actually early this year. So I think you're going to see it shortly thereafter, Chinese New Year, that carriers are going to get start to get aggressive with blanking and that's going to remain it to be the case leading up to the contracting season. Yeah. And I think back in the day, I don't know how long ago per se, but you would have just your regular like FAC agreements. You might have NAC agreements if you're a bigger shipper, but you aren't 
obligated necessarily to meet your MQC requirements. So I think in that sense, contracts were a bit more flexible and no one was really looking at it in close detail. But I think moving forward, now that we have a lot more consolidation in the market for the suppliers, the carriers, I think it matters more how much you're delivering on your contract. It shows that you're being more of a partner, you're in it for the long term versus just a shorter term, temporary, let's get the lowest rate sort of thing. Yeah, I absolutely think there's some strategies that I would recommend or at least start to think about if I were a shipper. But maybe before we get there, we should talk a little bit about like, how did we get here? Like, why would a carrier agree to a rate that's thousands of dollars less than what they had just five months ago? And I think the answer is that this is going to be a spoiler alert for everybody, but not everything moves on the spot market, that they're actually fixed contracts, which have higher rate levels. And you could argue that, okay, you know, those rate levels have changed. Like maybe some carriers opened up contracts where the rate was $10,000 and then it went down to, let's say, I don't know, $4,000, $3,000, what have you, but um, depending on the coast and inland points and whatever, but let's just say that there was a, a change of like 50 to 60% of what the freight rate was. And you think about that. And if I'm a carrier and let's say my strategy is to have 60% of my cargo into fixed contracts and 40% spot market, well, that 60% that I have locked up probably pays for the ship entirely. So you would say if I'm a carrier, that any incremental revenue that I could get from a spot rate actually is adding to the bottom line because all I have to really pay for is the lift onto the ship and lift off to the ship. But any of those variable costs associated with the container because all of my fixed costs have been paid for. And so that additional revenue is incrementally going to add to the bottom line. So I should push for a higher utilization because I have this cargo that's moving under contract, which is going to help pay for everything. So I think that's been pretty clearly the strategy of some carriers to say like, hey, I just did the math. It makes sense for me to do that. I think in the long run, when you start to look at contracting in the next cycle, those rate levels aren't going to make sense because of those cost headwinds I already mentioned. And I think there's going to be other implications from IMO that perhaps we haven't seen completely unfold because that's not totally understood at this point either. Yeah. I think it might be interesting to talk a bit about the NACFAC difference. So when you're saying that most carriers rely on the NAC fulfillment for their ships to cover the cost, are you referring in present day circumstances or is this always, this has been the case? Is it because they can rely on that cargo to actually move? I think that might be interesting to talk about. Yeah. And I think today I would say it's more the name to count contracts or the ones, those fixed contracts. So if it's direct agreement with the shipper, or it's an NVO that has an agreement with shippers. Those contracts are the ones that were probably signed at a higher rate level. Now, those FAK rate levels tend to be more market-related, and those are the ones that dropped. And I think that in today's world, there's really three buckets of rates. There's the named account, there's the FAK, which is FAK stands for freight all kinds, for those that don't know, which means you can really ship anything under that. And then you have your spot rates. And the real difference is that spot is just maybe for a given week or a given ship, where an FAK rate tends to be for a little bit longer duration. 
let's just say for a month. And then if a carrier is going to change that rate, they have to do it through an amendment process normally. So it's not so simple that you can just say, oh, the spot rate changed. So you should reduce my contract. Well, there's an amendment process. You have to change the rate, send the signature page, sign, et cetera. So there's a little bit of time involved there. Usually you're trying to do that like January, like this time of year, you're probably negotiating, but you want to get those contracts done and signed before January 1, because that's going to be the new rate level. But there is some work involved with doing that. It's just not an automatic thing where a spot carrier posts a rate and you can just consume that. So, but I think traditionally to your question, there was always like this fixed floating strategy. And I think it was market conditions were always different. And a carrier would go into a cycle and say, I want a certain percentage of my ship to be fixed and I want some of it to be floating because the historical view on this is that the floating rates were sometimes below market and sometimes above market. So in those peak seasons around Chinese New Year, around Golden Week, around the peak season in the summer, that tended to be a higher rate level. And then you might have periods immediately after those cycles that the rate levels went down. So it's just going to be a variable rate component, whereas the named account rate levels were a lot more flat. So they didn't really go up or down. I mean, there might be a bunker component or something that will just nudges it up or down, but you didn't see the same type of swings. So I think it's more of a carrier strategy going into a contracting season that they say, okay, I want this much of this and this much of that. But I think it's mostly a diversified strategy that they're not going to say, I want 100% FAK or I don't want 100% named account because there's risks associated that where you might miss out on some revenue opportunities. Right. Okay. Going back to something you said earlier, I think you kind of implied that the carriers had a choice over the rates in terms of FAC and kind of where the market's been going since June. Then he sort of rewound a bit and then added that it's market conditions causing that more so. What came first, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) So I think that there are carriers that have different strategies and some that might be more of a price leader and others that follow the market rate reluctantly. So I think the first fact is the market condition drives a lot of the carrier behavior. And whether that's a strong market, weak market, it's just that supply demand factor is going to be the first driving factor. And then carriers are going to have to make decisions on what they want to do to respond to that. And it's a question of, can I incentivize somebody through price? And this has been a dilemma from the industry, which is, is that my only incentive to sway a shipper to use me is price? And I would say it shouldn't be. And I think for the most part it has, but I think you have to try and start to think differently. But for the most part, it's been price as the incentive. Now, I think we're just coming off a period where if you had a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollar difference between a carrier, you didn't really care because you just wanted a slot on the ship. Whereas historically you had a $25 difference between a carrier and you'd be like, I'm going to use the cheaper one because it's relatively the same. And I'm not quite sure we're totally back there yet. I think that there are some strategies you should use, but to answer your question, I would say it's mostly market related and then carriers respond to that. And then it's usually somebody who's driving that rate down who takes the lead. And then it's just a question of like, do other carriers follow and how long it takes them to follow? Could we talk a bit about what actually makes the market demand? From my understanding, I think it's more, it revolves around the consumer demand. So we saw a huge drop in consumer demand and I guess confidence in the economy 
Do you think that is the biggest contributor to market demand for the freight market? Or do you think there are other factors that play into it? I mean, I think at the today's environment, that's the driving force is consumer demand. And I mean, if we think back to what happened with COVID, it was everything was shut down. COVID happened. There was really nothing moving, lots of blank sailings. And then everyone's like limited on what they can do. They couldn't vacation. They couldn't go out to eat like they used to. So people were started to say like, hey, I'm not going to the office anymore. I could probably spice up this office I'm sitting in or something. So then they would take steps to, you know, improve their home environment. And that you saw being shipped from services to goods. Those goods then drove up demand and it was in a huge way and a way that nobody had expected. And all these retailers were actually, many retailers were doing very well. But as things started to open up, uh, you saw that start to shift gradually. But I think the big driving factor was, you know, inflation is that, people's costs went up. And if you think about the cost of fuel, the fuel cost impact is significant for many people. And when that, you know, it was, let's say up here in New Jersey, it was $2 a gallon, then it went up to 4 or $5 a gallon. And so when you have like almost 100% cost increase, that's material for a lot of people. So they started to see that shift. And I think that really accelerated the slowdown of uh, demand because one, people were doing other things. They were able to do other things. But two, things got a lot more expensive. You know, my groceries got more expensive, fuel got more expensive. So people started to shift their preferences and say like, hey, I'm not going to go buy this fancy new bookcase or my fancy new coffee table because um, I don't have the same type of uh, income because it's being consumed by inflation and things getting more expensive. Yeah. That and I guess the confidence that a consumer has in the economy too. If you think things are going downhill, it ultimately becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't want to spend money because you're worried about it. Sure. No, totally. And so I think there's a lot of reasons that consumers, I think, looking forward are feeling like maybe things will improve next year that, you know, they're, they're anticipating a recession and how long a recession still very unclear. But, you know, Caroline, you're very fortunate that uh, you're talking to someone who is an undergrad and as a grad student, uh, took a lot of economics classes. And the I could say have- the same, Don. <laughs> Well, then you probably know this, but uh, one of my professors taught at the Fed and he said, you know, the worst predictors of future events are meteorologists and the second worst are economists. So it's because you look at things with a, well, a lag, right? So I think it's hard to take it to the bank. I mean, there's some data points, which you could say, okay, that makes sense, but actually able to predict things, it's very difficult to do. So I think before anybody starts like taking a position anywhere, I think the one thing remains to be true. It's just very hard to anticipate what's going to happen. Definitely fair. So I think let's start to talk a little bit about, okay, all these things happened in 2022, market changed very significantly, demand changed. So if I'm a shipper and I'm thinking about 2023, like what should I take away from what happened last year and use next year as I start to think about different types of contracting strategies? And I think that makes sense. And I think the first thing is that, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on it, but I'm going to say that I expect market volatility to continue. I don't think that we're like out of the woods as far as like volatility and impacts on the shipping industry. I think that, you know, there's probably a recency bias to say like, Hey, nothing really bad has happened in a while. So things are going to be okay. And I think what we saw leading up to the slowdown was that there were a number of things that affected shippers. There was 
congestion in the ports. There were COVID outbreaks in Asia that shut down ports. There was rail issues, rail congestion that affected things on the land side. And so there's certainly this labor negotiation happening on the West Coast, which is still unsettled. And I think that there's risks of volatility because I think, to me, we're at the bottom of the market. I don't believe rates can go much lower than they are today because, again, as that point I made earlier, that the carrier's cost base has increased. And if you may doubt that, then I would encourage people to look at the fact that a lot of the new entrants that came in through the COVID period when everyone was making money, they're now not shipping anymore. They're either holding up shop or they're reducing the number of services. And I think that's just a function of like, it's very expensive when they took on those long-term charters and it's no longer profitable for them. So, I mean, that's an extreme case, of course. I think they're not as competitive as some of the bigger carriers. But the point being is that if you come from a higher cost base, which I think most carriers are, it's going to be very difficult to sustain these rates that are are very low. Yeah. It seems like for that reason, you're going to have a natural push to eventually start moving the price back the other direction. But I agree. I don't think you can bottom out much further. No, I think it's if one, like how much lower can you go? I mean, at one time there were rates below $1,000 some years ago. I think those days are gone that you can't really ship things below $1,000. I mean, maybe there's like, an extreme case where there's some space on a ship and someone's desperate to let me mine off for a one-time thing, but I'm talking about structurally that you have a rate of 950, 800. I don't don't think that's going to happen, again, for reasons I already stated, which is why I would say if I were a shipper, and again, I'm not working at a technology company, but my opinion is it's probably a good time to start thinking about contracting with carriers and talking about like if I'm ready to enter into some new contracts, maybe I start to have those conversations now. And I think there's really two reasons for that. The one is rates are low on the spot market. On long-term contracts, they're certainly higher. But I think it's also this idea of being a shipper of choice. And this is something that we had talked about in last year's episode, is that being a shipper of choice is still a thing and building partnerships with carriers matter. And I think maybe things have turned around, you know, as a very carrier dominated market, they are in control. Now it's a maybe more of a shipper dominated market that they have control. But I don't think it's about beating up your vendors because that's a losing battle. I think that you have to look at things and say, hey, I have some cargo, I have some contracting. Let's start to talk about what we're going to do over the course of the next year. And maybe there's some things that carriers want, but to build those relationships. A year ago, it felt impossible to build those relationships with carriers because, and there's all kinds of freight available. You know, it's very easy to get high freight rates and everybody wants to ship with you. Well, now that that's changed, I don't think you can be so short term. I think that's a real mistake if you're a shipper because, again, things will change. I don't know if it's going to be in the next two months, six months, two years. I don't know. But it's important to build those relationships because if I use my supply chain strategically, and that's going to be a strategic advantage over my competitors, then I want to make sure I'm really taking advantage of the market and saying, okay, I don't want to be the lowest paying guy because that's not, I think, a good position because I don't think carriers tend to prioritize somebody who's paying the lowest rate. Maybe they do, but I don't know that I've really seen that. But it's about thinking about, hey, what's fair? What's a reasonable cost? But starting to, again, build those partnerships. I think that's critical because, again, I think things will change. There will be a period next year, and this is my prediction, Caroline, 
there will be a period next year where getting space will be difficult. And if you want to just wait for that to happen and say, hey, I thought we were friends, I thought we were partners, it's too late at that point. I think you have to do things now to protect yourself because, again, if those supply chain is part of your strategy, then I think you really need to leverage that. Yeah, I think there's going to be an increase in blank sailings based on what I've researched recently and what I've been hearing from some other industry experts aside from you, Don. But I think probably shippers are having these conversations or at least thinking about their tactics going into negotiation season for the 2023 contract year. But yeah, I think it's important to keep the perspective of you get what you pay for. Like lowest cost isn't always going to be your best option. We've seen how the supply chain can fail. And so having that almost like insurance policy built in, if you're not the lowest paying, you might have a better chance at faring than perhaps the lowest paying shipper. Yeah. And I think that it's a little hard to argue that service delivery is important to you if you're chasing the lowest cost option. And I think that there's a point to be made that my rate was $10,000 and I know that the rate is now, you know, $4,000 inclined to say that's a $6,000 gap. You know, I got to close that for whatever reason, you know, I have pressure internally, et cetera. But um, to say that, okay, I have the option of a $4,000 rate compared to like a, a rate of 3950 or $3,900, I think it's really very short-sighted to, to chase those types of things. Because again, you can, but if you demonstrate to carriers that, again, your value proposition is, I need the lowest cost option. I only care about cost. Well, then I think, again, you're sending a message to the carrier. And then when things start to change, it's going to be really hard to get any ups or extras or any additional service delivery when those things are critical. So again, you can make arguments to say like like these huge gaps, but I think when it starts to get down to the smaller dollar amounts, if again, I were a shipper, I'd be less inclined to chase those things because again, I feel like there's going to be some consequences of that when, again, when you need the help and it's not going to be so easy to find space or equipment on the ship. Yeah, I agree with all that. If I reflect on last year, I think, again, the main takeaways are I would start to have those contracting discussions now and see that maybe I can start to lock up some of my business early. But I think it's also trying to build those relationships. And again, those things that seem difficult, certainly the market has changed. But I think there's some people that say, hey, things were really bad for me. I think I don't like the way the carriers treated me. So, you know, now I'm going to just go for the lowest cost option, which is anybody's prerogative. But I think in the long term, that's really a mistake because, again, if you want to be more relevant as a shipper or as an FBO, I think now's the time to do it and to demonstrate to your partners and really say it's a partnership. I think you're in a perfect market condition to do that. Otherwise, it's um, you try and call somebody and say, hey, I know things are completely full now, but I thought we were partners. Again, it's a little late to have that conversation in my view. Yeah. All right. So I think we've done a good job of just talking about last year, some strategies around 2023 and ways to think about it. I don't know. Is there, I mean, we're approaching the end of the show here and I don't know if there's anything that's top of mind for you or anything else that comes to mind when you think about the year review or thinking about next year. I think we had a really thorough discussion. This was really interesting to talk through with you and I'm hoping the viewers got to learn something. It seems like this is kind of the freight equivalent of the Spotify wrapped for 2022. See, now, Caroline, I don't know what that is. I'm not a Spotify person, so maybe you can help me out and tell me what that is. 
So it's uh, anyone that uses Spotify gets a wrapped up view of their year. So who are they listening to the most? You know, what percentage of that artist's audience are you? So my youngest brother is like 0.001 for Lil Wayne um, <laughs> in terms of top listeners. But yeah, I think this is a nice wrap up to do at the end of every year. And I'm sure we'll have one going for next year. But otherwise, I think it's been good. I don't have any what? questions planned. Well, I just wanted to mention that I'm an Apple Music person, so I support all the platforms. I think between us, we support the platforms that uh, deliver the podcast. So for those executives at Spotify or Apple, you know, we are certainly contributing to both platforms. And uh, I'm sure some of our listeners contribute to some others. I mean, YouTube is also one where we're normally available. So uh, plenty of places to consume that. So, all right, great. Well, thanks for coming on again, Caroline. So for those listening... We are going to have Caroline on a few more times next year as we talk about some of these other topics and we do these snack size episode. Would love to get people's reaction to that. Are you excited for it? Is there anything you want us to talk about? Because again, we're here for you to serve the listeners. So it's been great and it's been a fun 2022. I wish everyone a great holiday season and um, yeah, we'll be talking to you again in 2023. So Caroline, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. Excited for next year. All right, me too. And don't forget, rate us, review us, wherever you find us, Apple, Spotify, wherever we download our podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to the Supply Chain Secrets Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast network. 